Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Uh, this, episode, this episode today is with Bob Cooker from Cooker's UWs in Williamsport, Maryland. Um, if you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. I just got back from being in Mexico for the week. And uh, while down there, I got a little bit under the weather. But hey, could be worse than being sick on vacation, right? So uh, we have a pretty good interview with Bob. Talk about his shop, what he does, uh, what it costs to restore cars. Also some cool stuff to get some background on Bob and what he's all about. So a uh, lot to learn on this. Also, you get to hear about his bus, his record-holding drag racing bus. So uh, take a listen. Let me know what you think. Don't forget to go on Let's Talk Dubs on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk Dubs. Uh, leave some comments, reply to some stuff, throw some suggestions out there. I've got a pretty good uh, stack up coming up with some good interviews with other influential people in the VW scene. So if there are people you want to hear from, shoot me a message on Let's Talk Dubs Facebook page or on our website at letstalkdubs.com. There is a contact button. Click that contact button, send me a message, tell me who you want to hear from, and we'll get them on the podcast. Uh, Look forward to putting out some more shows for you guys. And don't forget, um, April 27th, I'll be out at Huntington Beach Pier at the VW Bus Meet on the Pier. So come out, grab some stickers, say what's up, give me some feedback on the podcast. Let me know if you guys like it. Hopefully you like it. I like doing it, so we're going to keep doing it. So um, that's about it. Look forward to putting out some more podcasts. And thanks for listening. All right, on today's episode of Let's Talk Dubs, I'm on the phone with uh, Bob Cooker from Cooker's Restoration and Fabrication out of Williamsport, Maryland. Uh, Bob, I met a few years back at the VW Classic. He's been building some pretty devastating cars out of the East Coast. He's probably holding up the East Coast contingent for some of the cleanest cars hitting the scene. So I wanted to welcome to the podcast, Bob Cooker. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Hey, so uh, we met a few years back at the Classic, and uh, it was always good to see you know, kind of put face of the names when you see people in the magazines and whatnot, a bunch of cars debuted. And uh, I think it was a couple of years ago when we met back there at the VW Classic. And on the podcast here, I know you weren't real familiar with podcasts and I sent you a couple episodes to check out today. And yeah. so I start all the episodes with, uh, so tell me your story. Give me your story about how you got, I first want to find out how did you get into VWs? Wow. Uh, that goes back a long ways. Um, I guess when I was uh, 14, I uh, wanted a uh, VW, or at least to, just to work on a tanker with a VW. So uh, I didn't have my driver's license yet. But my brother was getting ready to get something because um, he was driving the, my dad's 69 Roadrunner at the time. But he needed his own car. So uh, he uttered wanting a stupid rabbit. So I'm like, no, dude, I don't want to work on a Volkswagen. I want to work on a real Volkswagen, not some stupid rabbit. So um, I convinced him to buy, buy a Beetle. Uh, he bought a 72 Beetle. And, Literally, the day brought it home, um, I started messing with it. Just everything you can think of, just doing little stupid things. And, you know, I didn't know anything at all. I was 14 years old. I didn't know how to work on the car. But, you know, I, I, I took the, all of the seats and carpet stuff out and wire wheeled the pan and painted the pan on the inside black so it's preserved. And 
Oh, that's just where it started. And then it, it snowballed into doing uh, people stuff on the side, you know, just friends, working on friends with cars and stuff. Um, and it progressed into building cars, but I was still building houses. Um, I mean, I got into building houses for my father. So uh, that's what I did as a full-time job from as soon as I graduated high school. Um, so I started building houses and did cars on the side and then got to where I was building, you know, paying jobs and a um, little bit nicer cars each time and built a couple of my own cars and got some magazine features. Um, I guess around 95 was my first magazine feature. Graduated in 92, so um, it was a pretty decent little car. I mean, it was a 57 Oval. Um, nothing to write home about, but it was really neat and a little clean and detailed floor pan, that kind of thing. So that's where it all started as far as magazine features and stuff goes. So your so so your first feature car was a '57 Bug, '57 yep. Oval, and yep. then uh, you said you start so so you started out you were with a you were a carpenter with working for your dad and doing VWs on the side. Yeah. And, and kind of getting into that, and I know out here on the West Coast, you know, we're so close to California. There's a lot of that trickle over. A lot of the you know I was going to high school. There was the Cal look scene and all that stuff going on. Was that around? You know, you and I are, are fairly close in age. You're a couple years younger than me, but you know, I graduated in 1990, but right around the mid eighties and late eighties, there was all the mini truck scene and the bug scene and all that stuff was kind of happening in high school. Was that same thing going on East coast? Oh yeah. Um, my area has always been a pretty hot spot for Volkswagens. Um, north of here is hit or miss, uh, south of here has always been pretty hot. Um, but right in my area, yeah, it's, it's been a really heavy, big scene in the, I mean, I'm in Maryland, but Virginia, not too far into Virginia was the biggest show on the East Coast back then. It was Bug Out, which ran from like 79 the whole way up till just a few years back. They sold the property and uh, turned it into housing, but um, that was pretty much the biggest show on the East Coast, and that was only two hours from me. So I started going to that in like uh, 87 or 88, and uh, that was actually before I had a car. I took my brother's car and went down there. And, um, we started you know, getting heavy into it right around that period, and I bought one my first car when I was 16 from the bug out and which I still have 62 sunroof beetle. Um, nice. But that's when, that's when it really started getting hot and heavy for me. It was right around 1990. So around, so, so in, in the early nineties, you, you get into the VW scene, you start checking out, you know, you get that pull of that stuff. Now I've always been interested in different scenes in different locations, especially East coast, because it's so different. Who were some of the cars back then, like that you can recall looking at hot VWs or VW trends at some of the cars that really like lit your fuse, man. Like you saw a car in a magazine, you're like, bro, that's what I'm building next. Like, cause I think we all have something like that that inspire us. So any car that you, that you remember that was back in the day in the magazine that just like when you saw it stopped you in your tracks and you're like, I got to build me one of those. Uh, probably going to sound pathetic, but I've never really paid that much attention to people uh, and you know, who built cars. And so I didn't really get many names and that kind of stuff from that. And most of the stuff that I really sold after was local cars at our shows and didn't really think that too often much about um, Hobby W cars, that kind of thing. I mean, I had magazines, of course, and all that, but I didn't really latch on to people. You know what I mean? I mean, I hate to sound, I don't know. And really, I'm saying it's less about people. And it's like bad Raz is some of the cars that people saw that were like, oh, man, like that. It was that Raspberry Oval. Or do you, is there any cars that you remember that you saw in the magazine that were like, 
influential cars that you saw. And I don't mean like name names, but any, and just anything that that's off the top of your head, but still no big deal. If you're, if you're motivated by the cars you see locally, that's even better. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, of course the cars in a magazine, so I had uh, all the hobby updates from back then, but, um, I mean, <laughs> that was so long ago. I don't even remember all the cars back then. You, so your first car was a seven, and, and I find a pattern with a lot of people. Like sometimes their first car is like a Super Beetle or a later model, and then obviously we get we get that taste because as a novice VW person, we see that car going down the road. We they all look the same to us before we start getting into and start getting into the hobby. Then when you're in the hobby, you really start to slice up the details and differences from from year to year. Um, and so you get you said your first car, like your first real deal car, was your '62 Ragtop, yeah. that, and that's the yeah. one you still have. Yeah, it was my very first car. I mean, I drove my dad's 69 Roadrunner also, but only for a couple months until I bought my first car. Um, it had been painted right before I bought it. It was taken to that bug out, and um, it had only been painted a couple months before that. Um, and it, he had it for sale. He didn't have, it only had a front seat, no interior, a BDS 1600cc engine. Um, it was lowered on a set of five spokes. But it was um, like the identical color of uh, Captain Bismo pink. Right. And at the time, that was a cool color, believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe, but um, so I bought that and I finished the car, you know, as far as the interior and uh, built an 1835 for it. Drove the car a good bit, not every day, but a good bit. Um, I really got tired of being harassed about the color. I mean, because I did get some major this is a pretty redneck area around here, so <laughs> you can imagine the the terms that were thrown at me driving a pink Volkswagen. So you finally you kind of got tired of that Pepto Bismol pink, and then you took the car. So was that the car that you kind of cut your teeth on with paint and bodywork and things like that? Like, how do you make that transition from doing like you know we I think we all start with a with a wire wheel and some black primer or whatever, starting with that, but then you take that because you currently doing carpentry work which is detail oriented takes a certain amount of skill and technique and then you start getting involved in the vws walk me through that process like on this 62 how you go from like buying the car it was painted and then deciding i'm going to start painting cars well the 62 was nice and straight and had a good paint job um actually it was painted by a company i remember like yesterday a guy named burwell in pittsburgh that uh painted uh the second batmobile i think or the first Batmobile to the real Batman movies, you know? Yeah. Um, so the car didn't need body and paint, luckily. And that's why I bought it, because I didn't know how to do that. I figure I can figure out all the mechanics. I just can't do body and paint yet. And, but I knew I wanted to. Um, so the whole inside of the car wasn't finished. So I stripped out the tabs from the headliner and all that stuff and um, painted the whole inside of it uh, to match the outside. So And then put the interior stuff, back, you know, seats and door panels, that kind of stuff in it. But... My second car was the 57 Oval, and that was yeah. the one uh, I was taking a uh, class at Auto Body in school, my senior year of high school, and uh, that gave me roughly some fundamentals. I mean, it was only, you know, six months of schooling, half a day. And the rest of the day, I had to spend the rest of the day in school, um, my regular school, not the Votech school. So I really, what I learned from that class was how to paint. Uh, I figured I would figure out how to do body work and stuff more so on my own because when I started in the um, that class he like a couple days into it he handed me a paint gun and says oh, who thinks they can paint well I raised my hand I'm like I'll, yeah I'll, I'll shoot that jam for you so when he soon as he handed me the gun he's like yeah you're a natural he says you know what he goes you're going to be painting a lot of stuff here well 
that was good and bad. It, it showed me uh, I got to learn how to paint, but it didn't do me any good for anything else in the class because I was literally painting all the time. You know, other kids would get stuff ready, and he would make me paint because he knew I wouldn't have to, that he wouldn't have to fix it. So I ended up not doing near as much body work as say some of the other kids in the class because I was painting everything. So when I got out of school, you know, I, I built that. As soon as I got out of school, I built that oval, and um, I did a '78 Ford truck for myself right before the oval. So that was the first thing that I uh, had um, worked on. moved out of the, my parents' house into his own house, he had a garage. So I went to that garage and started building cars, you know, a lot. I mean, I was there, there all the time building stuff. I built his cars, built friends' cars, that kind of thing. But um, I mean, you're looking at, I didn't start the Cooker's Restoration until 2008. So from early 90s, the whole way to 2008, I was just doing them on the side. Um, I built my house in 2001, and that's when I started building them here at my house. Yeah. So I didn't get the shop. I didn't buy the shop until 2008. That's when I legitimately started the business. So if I'm looking at the math right, you're waiting for the uh, economic collapse, and then you like, I'm going in the restoration business because well, 2008. You know it's about the time when it's all falling apart, right? Yeah, yeah. It was it was weird how it happened. Um, it was the market was crashing terrible. Um, I was in housing. Well, you know what got hit the worst? It was housing. Yeah. We built big houses, anywhere from 10,000 square feet up to 20,000 square feet. Well, even those houses died. And that was the first time that those big houses ever died off. So I, I told my dad, I'm like, you know, there's no work. I got to do something. Well, I drove by the shop every day that before I owned it, you know, because I lived right by it. And drove by it every day for half my life. Well, I stopped in there one day and said, uh, hey, um, uh, you know, I'm looking to make a career change. You want to sell this place? And it had been a body shop for probably 55 years or so. And the old guy that was there was like, yeah, actually, I do want to sell it. He hadn't put it on the market or nothing. So we struck a deal. And about four months later, I was there doing it full time. Wow. Right up. I mean, that was it. So when you start the shop, the shop obviously is an operating body shop. So it's an existing collision repair type business. And then you take it and transfer it into VW restoration or how, how does that happen? Well, all he did is a, it was a very, very small shop. And all he did was um, paint jobs, very little body work. 
and paint jobs. So if you brought a car in that you wanted like quarters put on, that kind of thing, no, he wouldn't do it. He it would paint a car. That was it. So, yeah. You know, like scratch bright it and paint it. So, right. But he did a good job. But a lot of people knew that about him and they would get their car ready and then take it to him. Um, he was an old guy when I bought the place. I mean, he was in his 70s when I bought the place. Wow. So he was done wanting to get out of it. Um, so when I bought the place, yeah, it was somewhat of an existing shop, um, Palmer's Body Shop. But I uh, quickly turned it into all Volkswagen. And um, it wasn't shut down long. From the time he walked out, the time I walked in was a matter of a week. And um, so it never really stopped being a body shop, yeah. And so once people started saying like, hey, Bob's got this place now. He's got his own. He's like up and running and I'm bringing my project to him. Because obviously when you're working in your brother's garage and your garage, you can only have so many projects working. Well, um, the good thing was uh, as soon as I started the business legitimately, oh, actually right before I did, I met Howard Kreps at a show in Pittsburgh, and he's a heavy hitter in the scene, especially sure. he was uh, KCW was doing all these cars. Well, he was tired of paying the expenses of shipping back and forth from John Jones because you know, he was like the PA, so it was the, the bills were getting expensive just because of that. So he's like, well, I'm gonna try somebody over here. He saw my, uh, I had done my 50 split turbo car, and he saw that and was like, hey, um, come up to me at a car show and he's like hey i want you to build me a car and i'm like all right well i said i'm in the middle of you know starting this business doing this full time and uh i would gladly do your car for you so that and another car like literally at the same time a 52 uh zwitter approached me and said hey we want this car built too so i took both of those two split windows were my very first cars in, in business and they were um done at the exact same time so both of those cars hold a really big spot in my heart because they were the first cars in business um doing yeah the it. car the cars that kind of kicked you off to get you going yeah but, they were cars that worked perfect yeah and both and both those cars were some head turners when they came out i mean oh, yeah. those cars you know i remember your your red split i do remember that one and i love that turbo car man that's a, that's a devastating car man it, it, you know um we're west coast we're not used to seeing work like that come out of the east coast you know what i mean a lot of the stuff out there restoration's pretty challenging because of the condition of vehicles there so you oh, build some garbage <laughs> so <laughs> so you start off with those two cars and then slowly but surely obviously those cars kind of help you get a little more legitimate legitimize your brand and get things going and then from then it's what no looking back just stacks of no, projects no. Stacking up. there's never been a time when i had uh you know downtime I mean, it's been solid all 10 years or yeah, 10 years that I've been there has been nonstop work. Um, you know, when I first started there, um, I hired my uncle on right away, which was, he's a prison guard at night and he would come work during the day and he, you know, he didn't do a whole bunch of body work and stuff, but he wanted to, he had gone to the same class I'd gone to. He's five years older than me, but he had gone through the same class. So he knew a song. And once I started it, you know, I was like, dude, I need some help right away. I mean, like, right automatically. And you don't work during the day. You need to get up here and get to work. So he's been with me since day one, and uh, which we've always been a close in my whole life, him and my, me and my uncle. But um, it's worked out great. He works up there during the day, goes to work night. I don't know when the hell he sleeps. But, um, <laughs> we've, you know, we've built some badass cars. No, there's been a lot of cool stuff. I'm, you know, I'm on your website looking at some stuff, and there's just been some – You've produced a lot of really, really super nice cars, and uh, it's been, 
you know, impressive to see your work because, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing kind of has that West Coast kind of feel, you know, big turbo motors and the stance and the look is all right. And so from 2008 up until probably, you know, the last 10 years in the business, you've seen things, the level of detail has just skyrocketed, you know, thank you, buddy. Yeah. Right. So, so buddy who attributes some of that starting to Aaron Broughton and Ryan Reed and those guys who were kind of th- th- those guys, day jobs are working in hot rod shops and then they evolve into taking that hot rod attention to detail and putting it in VWs. Cause I mean, I think the most of us back in the day were just kind of buying Chrome kits at the store, slapping those on. And that was the end of the engine detail and stuff like that. And because of that, <clears throat> Some people that want restored Volkswagens don't realize that depending on level of restoration, it could cost you six figures easy to get into a VW. Um, what? So somebody's looking that, that right now they're listening to this podcast. They're like, hey, man, I'm on the East Coast. I want a Volkswagen restored. Give me some tips that they should look into and things they should do before they bring you a car. Like, do they just go, oh, I want a 65 by the first 65 they see, drag it down here. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey man, this thing's roached, whatever. I mean, what are some tips you can advise them that might, what's the best tip you can give somebody looking to restore a car that could save them tons of money on the back end? Um, first of all, pay up for a car when you buy it. That's the most important thing. Don't buy some roached out piece of shit just because you're saving money on it because you're not going to save money on it. You know, right. metal cost you way more than buying a solid car and that's one of the first things i tell anybody when they come if they're smart enough to come to me first ask questions because a lot of people just go on their own and go buy something and think they got something great and then you they bring it to you and you start throwing numbers at them they they about fall over I'm like this is restoration this isn't mako you know we got right make all, i got a reputation to uphold um i mean i don't i don't consider myself buddy hell but i think we build nice cars and i want to keep it that way yeah, and, and and the reality is somebody doesn't realize that you're changing some rockers. That's twenty five hundred bucks. Change you oh, some yeah. rockers. That's twenty five hundred. And all of a sudden you're thinking, I I, I got scored on this bug for eight hundred bucks. That guy wanted five grand for the other one, but it's like, it's money well spent yeah. if you pay the price up front, which is an important thing for people to know, especially if they're thinking about getting the scene. And I'm gonna do down the road. I'm gonna do a podcast about the top ten things to look for when for pre-purchase for restoration and then also come up with some restoration tips and whatnot coming up in the future. But, you know, I I can tell you from experience, you know, starting out with the right core project will save you so much money on the back end. You know, it's funny. I've had people tell me when I bought a car, I bought my crew cab. When I bought it, the guy had it, the classic and, and, and I, I bought double cabs. I bought a double cab for 600 bucks. That's the one that Scott Moses has the green one with the rag top. He's local Vegas guy. He's got that car. That car was called the Trouble Cab. I, I dubbed it the Trouble Cab. We split 300 a piece on it. And I was like, bro, that car is too rotten for me. And maybe what, what got me going was originally one of my first cars that I bought had, had a big shark bite in the quarter panel. And I drove that car for like six years because there ain't no way you fit quarter panels ain't cheap. You know what I mean? So it's like I just drove that shark bite machine everywhere. And ever since then, I was like, I buy a car. You start pulling back the cobwebs. You see the things rotten to death. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not into it. And so when I bought my crew cab, I mean, I paid the price. I didn't buy it for five grand. You know, I, I spent, I think I spent at the time, and this is, we're going back to 2010. I spent 10,000 bucks buying it. And it was a rolling shell solid that it was a body shop fallout project. It had a crummy paint job on it. But I was like, hey, man, 
metal work is done and there's easy 10 grand of metal work in a bus easy you know what yeah, i mean we- so i think I, I think that's a that's a key component and then what other advice would you give to somebody looking to do a restoration well i uh the gear of the car i mean unless you have sentimental attachment to it don't just pick a volkswagen because it's a volkswagen i have people that bring cars to me that's like i'm like you really want to put this kind of money into a 72 convertible you're never going to get it back or a super beetle or you're never going to get that money back so unless you're in love with this car and you've had it forever don't waste your money go earlier i mean i hate to be that guy that pushes everybody to hard but it's what you have to do if you want to you know stand a chance of getting your money back um yeah i I mean i've built cars that have way too much money in them because people don't care about the money you know we just recently did a 15 one the brazilian box that had way too much money in it but he's like i don't care it's it's still a buzz so uh, i saw that brazilian bus that you had now was that it was a 15 window so no skylights then on the Correct. Brazilian bus. So, yeah. uh, what was there any, I, I've got a buddy of mine's restoring doing a restoration on a Brazilian 23 right now. What, what, if anything, have you noticed like bigger, bigger differences that you would think they'd be the same, but they're different. Oh, those buses are absolute garbage. Um, I hate to point out the fact that they are to everybody that doesn't know it, but those buses are junk. Um, Plastic fab metal. I'm in love with plastic fab metal. Gerson's the best guy in the world, and his metal's awesome. Of course, no aftermarket sheet metal is going to fall into place on anything. Right. Gerson's metal fits a German bus really nice, real nice. Um, a Brazilian bus, forget it. The, none of his panels fit it. Really? You've got to modify everything. So the Brazilian buses, they, although they look the same, they're kind of th- they're kind of that far off in every respect. I mean, are you talking doors and windows and everything? everything. I'm, I'm talking everything. We had to modify the safaris because they wouldn't even fit the hole right. Really? So, oh no, dude! Everything about them is is different. Just by little bits here and there, but it's enough that nothing works. They're well, terrible. it's it's funny because the reason I was asking that question is my buddy has been tasked with changing the skylights in this and he's like we've ordered four sets of rubbers and they don't fit he's like the window size is different nothing i said well you gotta i guess you gotta cut up the rubber and super glue it you know what i mean um, yeah i mean it's 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 terrible it's funny how you look at things and everybody makes that that perception like i don't care it's a 23 i'm getting it even though it's from brazil how different could it be and I think once maybe get that experience from you, there's a lot of variables in those things. So, so there's really, you can't take a door off a German. It's just going to bolt right up to a Brazilian. Oh, hell no. Really? No. Wow. They're terrible, well, dude. I, and, and I think maybe, you know, this is good because I, I think from the outside looking in, I, I go in the Samba and I see like, oh man, shoot, 15 grand. You could buy yourself a 23 one out of Brazil. But if. It's something that even if it needs a little bit of work, everything's one-off or oddball, and you're going to have to go to Brazil to get parts that fit right. What's the point in getting it? Here's the thing when you buy one. They're okay if you want to buy one and drive it, but don't restore it. Pay pay more money for a good solid one because, like you just said, there's so much more to it when you go to restore it as far as parts go and everything. They're just – if you find a good one, a good solid one,
car coming from the East Coast, the hell with that guy, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. But um, after that, it was great. The shows, as far as the shows go, the shows are awesome. The people, um, it's like a bigger event than the East Coast. That's the downfall of the East Coast shows, it, um, except for Florida. But all the other shows, it's like um, you drive to the car show, you show your car, you jump in your car, and you run back home real quick. That's what the East Coast shows consist of. Um, it has gotten better over the years, <clears throat> but um, California seemed like everybody was there just to hang out and have a good time. You said when you first came out to the Classic and you brought your 50 split out there, you felt that that car, which I, I'll agree with you, that car is on par with a lot of with, with a lot of top level cars, and you felt like you didn't get a lot of the respect. Um, and I can and, and and I can kind of attest to something. Like the you know first time I showed at the Classic was 2003. And I got up six o'clock in the morning. I was at the car show first. I got the first position. I did all that stuff. But anytime you go into a car show that is going to be people's choice and your, your bugs in a club, your bug is in a class with another club car that they've got 75 members there or whatever they have. Sometimes it's, it's not, uh, you know, it, things aren't always the way that they seem, you know what I mean? So, um, I remember I, I used to be in a car club and I got kind of wrenched one time when we had a car show and one of the guy's cars in the car show wasn't near as clean as another one that was there, but the guy wasn't in the club and the club member won the award. And I was mad, bro. I was like, that's not even cool, man. This guy's got a way nicer car than you do. And you get the award. I'm like, that's a bunch of crap. You know, you guys should have done the right thing and club members should be, out of the out of the running but i guess that's kind of the debate with what's that that's politics yeah i mean and sometimes that's what you get with people's choice you know it's uh it's tough there's different styles you got east coast styles west coast styles and a lot of those styles are also derived from functionality you know what i mean some cars don't sit as low on the east coast as the west coast because they can they don't right. got they don't got inclines and driveways and stuff that are designed for snow to run off because they don't have that West coast. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I remember going to salt Lake for, uh, some stuff and you know, that's just, that's just east of here. But when I get there, because they've got so much snow, a lot of their, their driveways and stuff are super steep getting in and out for the snow to run off. But it's like, and my, and one of the car I was driving wasn't even that low and it was like having trouble. So, I mean, a lot of the, it's, and so I think, geographically has a bit of a, a a bit of a play on kind of the styles and the ways that the ways that people fix up cars i mean oh there's God. well the, to go along with that um uh, <laughs> we make the joke around here about the cars that uh are really badly built and look bad are built in south carolina and retire in florida <laughs> yeah <laughs> why, why why is that why, why they retire in florida because that's where all this shit ends up <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, uh, that's your guy. That's your East Coast thing. So tell me about the Florida show. So you like so the Florida shows are it's a different ball game down in Florida as far as cars, builds, and all that stuff, or what? Yeah, it's not uh, hurry up and run to the show and then run home. It's it's more of a hangout thing, more like California. Um, I'm not sure what the reason behind that is, but um, the Florida shows are good, you know, fun shows. So if you're talking to your buddy Bill in Las Vegas, and I'm gonna pick an East Coast show to go to. What show do you tell me that I go check out if I want to experience the best show on the East Coast? No, 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 no. Yeah. Is that a whole week? No, no weekend has um, the no, no show. It has Giuseppe's pizza show the like on a Friday night. 
and then um, uh, Bully, which is the bus show on Saturday. So you get the whole weekend. Cool. And when do they do that show? Um, I think April, sometime in April. Oh, okay. I go to it, but I don't remember when it is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to convince a bunch of guys from here, from Vegas, to I, I want to hit two shows, and and my plan is to get a bunch of us guys to drive our cars out there, hang right. out. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. You haven't heard the whole story. Drive our cars out there. Go hang out for the weekend. Do the show. Call up a car hauler to come haul everybody home, and we all take a plane home. Well, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I, I think there's a fun experience in driving your car long distance because you know it's it's one of those it's one of those visceral things where it's like you built it with your hands because. It, chasing this dream day i'm gonna see me cruising down the boulevard in this car looking cool and you know i think for me it was like corvette summer you know what i mean we saw corvette summer where the guy you know mark hamill builds that car from the junkyard and is like the coolest thing ever and uh you know there's something that people are after for that and so what's the furthest you've driven one of your cars for a show i'm a fair weather bw guy the weather's got to be perfect it shows can't be too far away. I put all my stuff in a trailer and I take a Ford truck. <laughs> um, I've driven a Volkswagen. Uh, this is pathetic, but four hours is about five hours. That's max. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it's it's all up to different people. You know, I, I was having this conversation with some friends of mine and they were like, hey, man, we want to drive to a show. And I said, yeah, that's cool. But I've got a, a Laramie Dodge Ram with heated seats and 900 pound feet of torque. I'll see you guys. I'll cruise around all weekend, but you know, there's something cool. And if you've got the time and you don't got kids and you have no place to be, it's a little different vibe than if like you got to be back to work on Monday and do your thing. So yeah, I get it. I get it. But you know, I got to say the, the most fun I've had in a Volkswagen was when we did the TV show bull run. You know, when we did that, we were driving, it was just me and my brother in that bus in the dead of winter for three weeks. And we were literally, we put 3,500. Three thirty-five hundred miles on that bus in three weeks. Then when we got, we were done with the show in Arizona. We had to drive home. <laughs> wow. I mean, That's and bad. you're talking no cell phones, no nothing, and whatever happened, we had to fix it right there. But it was, it was the experience of like, I, I mean, I, listen, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, hanging out with my brother for three weeks, no cell phone distractions, no phone calls from work. Like by day three, I was like, what mortgage, what family? Like, I'm just, I'm just a dude in the car, just rolling through the desert. But yeah, there's, I I tell you, I, I love the driving experience. And I've always, I've always thought that, uh, an excellent event would be something that encompasses a little bit of driving, some more meetups than shows, uh, because it, it's, it's less about parking it, looking at it, talking about it. For me, it's more about kind of enjoying it and driving it, but don't get me wrong. I like to have something that looks devastating and has like a ridiculous amount of power too. You know, I've seen from your builds, you, you like some donkey kick in the back of that thing. <laughs> my bus, my bus ran 11, 17 and 120 and a quarter. So your bus, your bus ran 11, 17. That's the red bus. Yeah. Yeah, that bus is. And what are you putting for drivetrain in that? Currently, that's the fastest, you know, all VW bus in the world. Is it? Yeah, not some stuff that's had either Porsche engine or uh, you know V8s of some sort, something like that. But as of right now, I'm the fastest, especially street legal drivable bus. I mean, because my bus is 100% street legal. 
Hold on, I'm pull, I'm I'm pulling it up real quick on uh on cookersvdubs.com. You got a picture of that bus on here, right? And yeah. it is called the uh, no, that's not the killer combi, is it? No, the killer combi never made enough passes down the track without breaking to uh to set any records, but the panel first time out, the panel ran was 11 17 at 121 mile an hour. That's not the that's where is it? Where is it? it was just over, I just saw it two seconds over here. So it's not the killer pen, it's the Bordeaux panel. Well, no, it's um sealing wax, patina bus. Yeah, okay. The patina we also say, man, I was like, the the the, the polished bus is running that nice, huh? So uh, on the on the kill on the on the killer panel, what are you running for what's your setup on that thing? What are you running for drivetrain on it? Uh it's just a type one uh rhino case tranny, you know, with everything is as as streetable as you make it, you know, as strong as part streetable as you would make it, because it is street bus. Um, and the, um, it's got stock torsion bars. Uh, it is narrowed in the rear just because I got such big tires on it. Um, it's a 2332 uh, turbo with a, a Holly 600 carburetor. And who built the motor? It originally was a K-Well engine. Um, and then it has been going through a couple of times for different reasons. And, Ultimately, right now, it's it's a mixture between me and Dave Kwell. Nice. And what's that thing putting down on the dyno? Have you dynoed that bus? Uh, he only dynoed it at like um, 23 pounds, 24 pounds, something like that. And it made like 470 horsepower. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Those are some big numbers. 470 horsepower with 23, 24 pounds of boost. Now, it's, yeah. good. it's, it's injected methanol injection? No, it's carbureted. So it's carbon. It's got no added injection, like water injection, to cool the boost. None of that stuff, huh? And this bus. How far could you drive this bus? Like, if you could deal with the close ratio trans, how far could you drive the bus? Um, I've driven the bus two hours. You've driven that bus two hours somewhere? Yeah, you can drive them. Wow, that's impressive, man. And you're running eleven seventeen right now. What's the fastest? The other guys that run a big, big fast buses are in England, right? Yeah, everybody's in England with fast buses right now. Yeah, because I know that I had uh, Phil Jarvis. He Phil Jarvis has got the fire engine bus. You know, he's got the siren yep. on top of it and whatnot. So Phil stayed – he came and visited me at my house. I let him take uh, – I had all the VWs here and everything to choose from. And I said, here – he came to town. Ivan from Volksworld called me up and said, hey, my buddy Phil's coming down there. Phil stopped by to visit here. And I said, hey, man, any of the cars you want to take, take one out for the day. And he was like, dude, can I take that? I'm like – 73 travel all that was lowered on 20 inch uh five spokes you know just a hood rat big wagon and he was like oh mate that's what i'd like to take so he <laughs> takes that car out calls me in the morning he's like bill i can't get the car to start i go pump the gas pedal five times <laughs> and he's like pumps it five times it worked like a charm he's like he drove that car all over and i'm like that's what you wanted to borrow but i guess you know back back in england they don't have big old bucket wow. wagons like that so uh, but he he had a blast. But but Phil's got that uh, he, Phil's got that super fast. But well, I guess I guess not super fast anymore, right? If you're holding the title. Oh, he's still pretty fast. I think he's um 11:30 or 11:29. I think somewhere around his best time in that. So I actually put the the new uh, time pretty deep on my yeah. best time. 11:17 <laughs> because nobody's really close to that. I don't know the guy's name, but there's a black um turbo bus over there in England somewhere that's being built that um he said he was gonna beat me into the tens which i'm pretty close but i mean he's got a radical way of setup but it's also not a street bus which 
they they want to argue the whole street legal thing a little bit because we run DOT tires, you know, street slicks. Right. They're not on them, so they, they say that we're not street legal. But I mean, here we are street legal. So. So are you run you run drag radials or slicks DOT so, slicks. DOTs, which are street legal slicks. Oh, okay. You know, it's a bias ply and it's a wrinkle wall, but it does have a tread line in it. So. Nice. Yeah, it's a good looking bus, man. That thing's uh that thing's gotta be a monster. Does it lift the front end up pretty good when you hammer it? It pulls it up a little bit. Nice. So and how many passes you got on that bus? Oh, just a couple. Um let's see, I've, I've only taken it to two races and I've broken it two races, so <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, but it was my fault both times. So uh, it was an axle broke one, but I had broke the gearbox the first time out, I made the eleven seventeen pass. I made another pass that was not quite as fast, and then I um, I didn't realize it, but when I brought the push the gas pedal to the floor, the rev limit didn't come on, so I launched it almost eight grand. Wow! And, uh, it just destroyed the gearbox. Well, when I put another gearbox in it, I took those axles out and looked at them. The axles looked fine. Well, I broke it in the burnout doing a burnout at the next race. So apparently, one of those axles must have had a hairline crack in it, and I didn't see it. Well, you know, I think when people are going to hear this podcast and they hear that the world's fastest bus, street legal bus, is coming out of Maryland, people got to get their game on. Because when I was at the Classic last year, I saw Ron Loomis has got a bus turbo setup that he has in a in a primered bus, and it looked pretty cool. And I thought, oh, that's cool, you know, because I'm a kind of a bus guy. I like buses, and I'd love to sneak a turbo kit on my on my big 2.6 liter Type Four and see what you Type One boys are. <laughs> playing around with, but, uh, you never know. I mean, I got to take a lot of glass and stuff out of the bus to lighten it up, but, yeah. um, I, it'd be cool to see a lot of really fast buses hit the scene out here. And I, and I think that's coming, um, because, you know, they've been working on them over there in Europe for a while now. And over here in the East or in Maryland or no USA, there's not been a whole lot of people messing with it. So as soon as Ron Lewis, which I didn't even know that he'll obviously set the record. And if paradise ever climbs in on it, you know, they're going to set the record. <laughs> Well, you know, but I think uh, the, the cool part is that buses are really starting to, uh, they've been for a while, been cool for a while. Um, I thought they were cool. And, and the reason why I got a bus originally was because I had two kids and I had to convince the wife that we could get something that would look cool and haul everybody and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's how I ended up warming into a bus. But uh, yeah, no, I uh, look, I love turbo cars. I love buses and i think a turbo bus is the best of both worlds so who knows man i've got uh i've got we got adam wick here locally and uh he's working on my 2600 for my type four and oh, I, I i i had i had aj sims on the podcast a little bit ago and we talked about the fuel injection and the turbo kits and stuff like that and so who knows there could be something that works for the carbon cab or something to see what i could you know rip out of the back of that thing but unfortunately <laughs> heavy vehicle Oh yeah, the carbon cab, the the crew cabs. That's why I went with a, a panel because they're the lightest one. Yeah, know? I think the the panel's the lightest bus. That's all right. So I got a Type Four, got a big block, baby. I got a big block. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of that, uh, let's talk about let's talk about motors and stuff. Like what? Who? Uh, I see you do build some of your cars have these turbo motor stuff. Now, do you build those motors, or you have them built by uh, somebody? I heard K Well. K Well's on the East Coast now, right? Oh, uh, he's in Tennessee, so not. Not really, but he's close, I guess. Um, Dave has done a handful of engines for us, um, only turbo stuff. Uh, I do all the carbureted engines. And um, when we're doing builds for customer cars, it, um, anything stock, I don't touch. I have a guy that builds them because I don't want to mess with stock engines. 
you know, just beater cars, that kind of stuff. I don't mess with that. But I do all the uh, carbureted engines, and um, I, I'm doing turbo engines too. I mean, I've done like my brother's car ran a 966 and a 142 streetcar. Wow. Um, K-Wall inspired. See, when I first got into turbos, the first person I called was Dave K-Wall because I knew nothing of turbos. And yeah. I've been doing them forever. You know, he basically started the turbo thing. So I'm like, who else, who better go to than the guy that started it? Um, the one that uh, Gene Berg said you couldn't put a turbo on a Beetle engine. And Dave K-Wall showed him different. Yeah. <laughs> that's who I went to. And I, that's the only person I've listened to. Um, you know, because there's so many people out there who do their own thing and have their own ideas. Well, I'm the kind of guy that if I'm going to listen to somebody, I listen to one person and do what they do because they what they did worked. Yeah. So I'm going to right. So everything Dave says, I took it as you know, this is the holy grail of what to do, and I've done it. And I've, it's very, very old technology. It's 1980 technology with just better turbos and better carburetors. But really, we're not doing anything different than Dave did in 1980. So the the technology. So so Dave only builds carbureted turbo motors. Is that right? He don't, he, he used to do um, uh, mechanical fuel injection, but yeah. no electronic fuel injection. Nice. And what's he? So does he build more than just Volkswagen stuff? And uh, he does more V8 stuff than he does Volkswagen. Yeah, it's a lot of the guys out here. They're doing that. So I've got a couple guys lined up from the podcast, and maybe K. Well is going to be one of my other guys that I call because he's been around forever. One of the first guys ripping the turbos on the air cooled motors. Prison a hundred people. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, that's that's legit, man. So uh, in regards to some of your cars that you build for you, so you still have the '62, which is the blue one on the main on the homepage on your website. That's your car, the blue one. No, turbo car. Yeah, on the, on your homepage, on your website. No, that's a that's a customer's car. That's one of Howard's cars. Is that one of Howard's cars? No, it's Doug Hartman. The blue the blue rag top on the on the yep. cover. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's that that looks like it's got a pretty nice turbo setup on there. So that's that's a big motor too. Yeah, it's a twenty three thirty two. Nice. Uh, hey, well, uh, yeah, I build all the headers and stuff myself because um, every car I do, I like to have the header built a certain way to be in a certain place. Um, well, Dave doesn't have the car when he does them, and he's more about going fast. He doesn't care as much about the way aesthetically as they look as I am. So um, we always just had this agreement that he just dyes them with one of his headers, and then I put everything where I want it. Um, so that was a that was a I built the first engine that was in that car completely. I did everything, and he busted up pretty good on a racetrack. And then I I was so busy, I told him myself, I'm not interested in building another one. So he had Dave build the second one. Yeah. Um, and used all my turbo and everything that I put on the car. But nice. So that, well, right, that, right now, engine. So uh, you've turned out some pretty some pretty good looking stuff. What um, you know, I asked Buddy this question. What car of all the VWs do you dislike working on the most, or what's the hardest car to work on? Oh, uh, Carmen Gears. I hate them. Yeah. I hate just, them with a passion. Just because the curved lines and nothing's really. You can't you can't block it. Everything about them. I mean, you know, just the the fit of everything on those cars. Because VW, the engineers of VW was not friendly people. You know, they didn't give us like VA cars, muscle cars, and stuff. You can move those doors all over the place, make them fit the car. Uh-huh. Right. Not with not with even a Beetle or a bus or a Gia, but the Gia is the worst. Yeah. Um, to make everything line up and fit, and 
to lean over the front end, to work in the front area. It just everything about this car is ignorant. So if somebody calls you up and says, "Hey, I got a car McGee that was just painted. Would you install all my windows?" You're like, "No thanks." No thanks. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. You know, my brother's got a restoration shop and somebody came to him to have him build some windows and stuff. And they were surprised when they got the bill. And my brother's just like, dude, that's a lot of time to build those windows and set that glass up and do all that. All I right. mean, some people maybe don't understand that. That That's another expense. When we're talking about restoring cars, that's another huge expense that, it talk, that we talk about when building a car. Like if you're doing a convertible. Oh my God. What a nightmare. Yeah. Um, I've had people that had a car restored by somebody else and those people won't install the windows and stuff and they'll bring it to us just to do the windows yeah if you're willing to pay the bill i'll do the work right because there's so many people that just won't even touch it be or a gear or you know convertible or a hard top now do you do the tops there or you have some you have an upholstery shop do the tops uh, i have an upholstery guy that does it at the shop yeah tops are tops are a whole different ball game too <laughs> that's a so some of our so some of our listeners that might be out there they might be thinking hey i want to take a car i want to take a car over to bob have him go through it and kind of build that car for me are there different levels of restoration that you'll do for people uh or do you just want to do an all-in or and then what's kind of the price points in between uh, that's a tough question because um obviously we won't do just some piece of junk that you know where it's it's basically a piece of junk in, coming in, and it's going to go out as a piece of junk. I don't like to do that because of reputation. You know, it's, it doesn't do my business any good to try to save you money and build a junky car. Um, so I'll gladly do, like, say you bring a really rough car in. It needs a ton of metal work. I'll do the metal work, and we can stop. Or if you, you know, you take it back home for a little while, save your money, whatever it may be. Bring it back. I'll do from there. I'll do the whole way into paint, and then you can take your car. And you can bring it back to reassemble, or you can do your own reassemble, whatever. But um, you know, once it's in metal, you can stop. But you can't stop from the time you start slinging mud to the minute you finish paint. There's no stopping point in there. Right. If my shop in primer, then it's not coming back. I don't want it back. Yeah. You know where that thing's going to be, who's going to be handling it. So. Right. I'm not going to be warranting, and and I won't paint over somebody else's bodywork and metalwork. You know, I'm not, I'm not taking that chance. I, I warranty from the ground up. I don't warranty over top of what somebody else did. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, the, the paint job is only as good as the prep, you know what I mean? And if it's not prepped, right, you can't kind of get that. So right. a lot of these different aspects of the restoration, what is What's, what's your ideal car to be like, what's your favorite cars to build buses, bugs buses. or what? Buses. Buses. Yep. Hands yeah. Down. Why, why do you like I mean, a lot of people. I haven't been a bus guy like all that long. I mean, I got my first bus, a '57 Palm Green Sand Green, in, in um, I don't know, like '99. So I haven't been a bus guy all that long. Um, but building them to me is way more. I wouldn't say challenging, but it's to me it's more fun, <clears throat> more fun than building a Beetle. Um, I don't know why. Tell you the truth, I don't really know why. Yeah. But my metal guy that does. Um, he does like all beetle. He don't want to touch buses. So he does all the beetle metal work. I don't touch beetles. Um, I do all the buses. That's just the way we've worked it out. And yeah. Great. So how many guys facility working for you right now? 
Uh, unfortunately, I just lost two guys that were very important to the business. Um, one's sick and hasn't returned, and the other one went off and started his own thing. But um, I, it's me. My brother uh, is my office guy. Um, he's a full-timer. I have a full-time reassemble guy. I have my part-time uncle doing metal work, and I have another full-time guy doing uh, sanding and body work. And then I'm, I float around doing everything. So yeah. when the when the car's all painted, getting assembled, are you doing most of the assembly work on that car? A lot, a lot of the detail stuff, or you got everybody in the shop's capable of doing just about everything? Yeah, um, the guy that's in my reassemble side, where the clean side is what we say, um, he's only been with me for a year and a little over a year, year and a half, something like that, and he does an incredible job. But I also have a guy that works for me at night, um, and like does reassemble, and he does all the wiring. Because his wiring is perfectly neat and tidy, and he knows it very well, and he also does reassemble. So, like, um, he's very cautious on what he builds and puts together and how he goes about it. So, so technically, there's seven of us right now. Nice, nice. And so, how now? We're we're looking at a shot of your garage here. Are those are those your this? We're in your personal garage. Are those your cars there? Um, this one is, but this one's not. Yeah. So the bus behind it. Up here too. Yeah. So you just keep dragging stuff everywhere, huh? Just uh, for room? Well, my wife passed away. Oh. Kids. Well, I couldn't go to the shop at night anymore like I normally do. I right. Um, so I set this garage back up like I did back when I was before I had the business. I set all this back up again so that I can do it here at night so that I'm not away from the kids. No, it makes sense, man. Hey, I'm I'm sorry to hear about your wife and uh Thanks. Uh, I, I know that you're stepping up and taking care of your kids and making sure that they're, they're getting handled. That's the, you know, it's the most important thing as many cars as we can build, man, that take time away from us being with our family. It's time we yep. never get back, yep. you know? So, so the bus to you, the, the bus to your right is like a 13 window deluxe and the bus behind you is a combi. Yeah. It's 11 window combi, 66, nothing special, but it's all original paint. Yeah. Uh, 2332 motor. So it's fun. I just finished it, with, as a matter of fact. So that's a little cruiser too, huh? Nice. And so, um, what to the guys listening to the podcast right now, what so to give them a little brief rundown like, hey, this is what my shop's all about. This is what we do. I want to be known for this. And kind of give me Cooker's V dubs in a nutshell. Um, I don't think we build ridiculously over the top cards. We've built some, you know, that we would call over the top. I don't do what Buddy Hale does. I don't take them quite as far as what Buddy does. I admire Buddy. I like Buddy. He's a friend of mine, and his cars are incredible. But, one, we don't have as much of the clientele that is willing to spend that kind of money. And um, we like cars that go fast, and you can actually you know, beat on, and you're not as worried about them. Right. Um, so a lot of our cars are uh, more drivable I mean, I don't want to say that his aren't because that's not what I'm saying. It's just um, we just like to go fast and we like to use the car. So we're not as worried about every little detail um, as far as like making a whole lot of special little parts. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, so, and sometimes they, you know, it's it, when people have that kind of money in a car, they're scared to drive it. Exactly. And that's what we don't want because people will see the car and they're like, well, I'm not going to drive that. It's too nice. I don't want that. I don't want you to drive the car and enjoy the car. Um, but trust me, I'm not putting Buddy down by saying that. No, no, no. And nobody's taking it that way. Trust me. Don't worry about that. Uh, but um, we like um, – I'm really big into patina stuff now, original paint stuff. We're yeah. doing a ton of that. Um, 
you know, you can take a, a paint like a bus like this and buy it for you know anywhere around 10 grand or give or take, do the metal work, blend the paint, lower it, and you're you know, you're forty five, fifty thousand dollars into it instead of a hundred into a fully restored bus that you're not really gonna want to drive because who wants to take a bus that spend a hundred some thousand dollars on it and actually go out and drive it? Right. Or your kids climb it. I refer to buses as uh, interference vehicles. They interfere with themselves. The doors hit each other. Right. You kick the headlight bucket when you get in and out of them. You kick the steering column. They're 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 ignorant buses. They're <laughs> everything beats itself up in them. So patina buses are awesome because of that. I hope I'm not like heading down a path where people think, oh well, they can't do nice stuff anymore because they do so much patina stuff. But that's it's people want it. That's what they're paying for. So you get you, do you personally get a lot more satisfaction out of people that are build a car for and you just see them drop out of it like you do you enjoy that more rather than somebody who just has it in their garage on display for their buddies oh yeah i would much yeah the the display stuff back when i first got into volkswagen showing um when i built my first 57 i was all hung up on i gotta win trophies gotta win trophies dude i'm so past that shit when i take cars to shows i don't even register because i don't care i mean half the time it's because they're not my cars they're customer cars why should i win a trophy for their car um and because a lot of the clients just let me take their car to shows. Yeah. In order to take a car. So I take it down. So um, I just don't even register them because that, that really doesn't mean nothing to me. I just want people to be able to see what we do. I don't care about some stupid trophy. Um, so, so on the patina cars that you build, uh, are you do, are you doing metal work, patch work, stuff like that? And then blending the original paint back in to kind of make it look a little more like, make them a little safer and kind of fix anything that's needed well okay when i when we do patina work um i consider it going a little farther than what most people do on patina work because it's a full restoration minus the shiny paint because everything like the whole underneath this bus is blasted painted detailed and the engine compartment's all detailed and there's nothing like really crusty about it right half of the like the blend in patina that you see I got to fake it because, you know, we've had to replace all the metal on the bottom because these buses are 100% rust free when we're done with them, other than surface rust here and there. Um, but there's no rot in these buses at all. We fixed everything about them. So I don't want people to think, look at them and think, well, it's just a shitty looking rusty bus. No, they are restored buses just without the shiny paint job. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. I mean, I, you know, if you go, th- you go through and take the time to make them solid, reliable, dialed in, drivetrain like new, everything else dialed in, but they have, it's, it, it's like, uh, it, it's like resoling some worn in boots. You know what I mean? Yep. Like putting a good set, a, a new sole on a, a pair of worn in boots. So yep. no, that's good. So you've been, so the, the, the trend that you've seen from an affordability standpoint and also usability standpoint are people are, they're liking more of a preservation preservation slash restoration where mechanically it's all restored everything's dialed in but they want to still keep that 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 look that they that the bus has totally i mean it's huge like right now we have um two patina buses in the works that you know are just like this basically i mean you know they're both original paint because i don't i'm not a big fan of faking the funk on the whole vehicle right i can't like where you sand through and that kind of thing i'm just not into that but Obviously, I have to do some of that down the bottom because it's all new metal. Um, 
put in, you know, and then blend everything up into it. And then I flat clear most of them. Um, if it's not like this is flat clear and all it does is just basically seals the bus all together. It brings your blends in nice together. Um, and it keeps it from the rust from moving forward. If there is any exterior rust, you know, like patina on the roof, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I just, I enjoy it. It's a little bit of an art kind of thing, you know, that you're making sure. old and, but when you're doing the whole faking the whole thing, eh, it doesn't really do it for me. It's got to be original painting. Yeah. So tell me about um, on some of the stuff, obviously, it, being involved in the VWC like you are, buying cars, buying cars to build, buying cars for yourself, stuff like that. Have you ever ran across any awesome deals? Any any good like something that just stopped you in your tracks? A deal that a deal that was just it was just either you got something so cool or you got such a good deal on something or whatever. You got any any of those great stories to share with us? It happens all the time. Yeah. Most every car I get that way. So people co- people contact you through Instagram or they drive by your shop and they're like, hey, I got these old bugs in the backyard. Did you it, want these? It's happened in so many different everything you just named. Yes. Really. Uh, I get phone calls because I own the business. I get phone calls because they hear that, you know, you might want to buy a Volkswagen, a lot of that, you know, and I've had really, really cool cars come my way because of that. What's the coolest? Um, split windows. That's usually, because I don't consider 60 stuff cool anymore only because I already have it. And you know what I mean? It's, oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It sure was cool when you had your 72. <laughs> but it's um, that, that's the way we all were, you know, my, my, my first go, when I found a 63 rag top, I thought that was the rarest thing in the world. Yeah. You well, know, I, when I bought my 57 oval back in 1993 or whatever it was, ovals weren't that easy to find then. Yeah. It wasn't internet. So it wasn't like everybody just pulled them out of their barn and stuck them on the internet. Like now, you know, back then you had to look for a car. So when yeah. one approached you, you're like, Oh shit, look at this. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, even split one is lost that, with me because if it's on solemn it's not that really rare you know what i mean right right yeah phone calls were hey what this car worked on and then they they bail on working on it decide to sell it to me that's the way so so you found split windows on the east coast that weren't rotten to the core oh yeah really you know yeah, I've got I I have a split window. A lot of people don't believe me, but it's been uh it's been, it's been forever. It's been in hibernation for a little bit. So uh hopefully hopefully I'll bring it out this show season. Who knows? We're getting close. It's February already and I don't have it back and it needs to be finished and assembled. But uh hopefully we'll get there. Um but uh so your ideal Volkswagen, you can you can only build one last Volkswagen. What's your one last Volkswagen you build? Have Mueller. Have Mueller? Hands down, that's the car. Nice. The car I'll never own because the the couple of them that are out there, you know, what is there, 40 of them left in the world, they're all known about. It's not like something you can find. They're all 150,000 plus. Yeah. I, that's never going to be something I buy. Um, and, you know, and they've almost all been restored too. So that's, you're going to pay 150 for something that's unrestored. So a restored was over 200, 250, and they're just, there's none of them over here to even buy. And that's an inside network. That's yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of those cars travel on the inside tracks. I interviewed Randy Carlson uh, earlier for the podcast, and uh, his podcast will be coming out shortly. But I interviewed him for the podcast, and you know, a lot there, there's there's certain networks and cars travel in. I still think you know, I still think there's some stuff that's out there that's hidden. You know, that that oh, maybe no, you might get lucky and find out. You know, if somebody's listening to the podcast, maybe uh, you got a head mule you're trying to dump, call Cooker up because he's, he's, he's game for a good deal on a head mule. You know, if you want one that's, if you got one that's busted up and beat down, call Bob up. He'll take it off your hands at a good deal, but he'll make sure it gets its full glory, right? That's what that's you right. can promise him. That's right. <laughs> well, no, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Um, so I know that you like the turbo cars for the street. Um, what are you, are you guys doing anything new drivetrain wise? Have you guys messed with any of these five speed transmissions? You started to get into any of the other stuff or what? No, I'm, I'm a little narrow minded and, uh, old school when it comes to stuff. And I feel like when people have us build a car, they want our style car. And when they have buddy build a car, it's buddy style or pip pip's got his own style. Everybody's got their little things. And not just where you're at in the United States, but, you know, that's sure. too. Um, so I kind of, most of our stuff doesn't vary a whole lot. You know, we kind of like to go down the same path. It's, I don't like to reinvent the wheel. I don't like to leave a part off and put a part on. You know what I mean? You understand, you know, how yeah. I'm just kind of, I like them simple, clean, and function. You know, I don't want to work on a car every day that I, as soon as I finish it. Now I've noticed. Did, have you done a few where you've raised the trans setup in it, where you've raised the transmission, all that stuff? Few, yeah. Now you like doing that just to get the car low to the ground, so it looks good, or uh, is it more just kind of the style you're doing in the car? If you're doing a drag style, you'll raise the you'll raise the rear setup, or what? Well, ever since I got into Volkswagens and started building stuff, I've always leaned towards the drag racing side of it. Um, my brother's the Beetle that I told you that he bought um, as the first car I worked on eventually became a drag car. Um, so I've always went that direction. So I like that look, even if you're not racing it, I like the look. Um, so I like to make things look that way. Well, raising the rear end um, gives it that look. And people do it because they race them, obviously, get the center of gravity down and all that. But um, I, just, I really like the look of it. So I try to push that on the people that are building that kind of car. So you like you like the drag race? You're you're more of a drag race kind of guy. You like that pro street kind of look? Like that's your that's your thing? Yeah, it, um, I like a little bit of rake. I'm not you know one of the ones that has the tires sticking out like this in the back. That don't do nothing for me. Never has. I like you know the wheels to sit straight and have a little bit of East Coast on it and look mean. A little bit of that Jersey look on there. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. So you told me that I should go. If I go, I go. I got to go to the no dough, the no dough weekend. Like that's the one to go to. So who knows if we conjure up some guys? Are you coming out to the West Coast this year for any of the shows? No, what? I can't. I can't say when I'll be back out to the West Coast. I'm I'm going the other way. I'm going to Europe now for shows. So what shows have you been to in Europe? Um, Volta World. Uh, I did the uh, Barn Door Gathering last year. I'm going to Volkswagen again this year, and then Bad Camber. And what uh, what's your impression on the European shows? Um, big. <laughs> they're they're big, and um, aside from Volkswagen, Volkswagen is humongous show, and there's a lot of really super nice cars there. Um, they um, they don't care as much about making cars like really nice, even though there's a lot of nice show cars there. 
They, those guys, what they drive their shit everywhere. Yeah. So, it looks like they drive it everywhere. Yeah. Um, but they do. I mean, they these guys aren't afraid to drive their cars anywhere. Nice. Yeah. Hot in Europe. Well, they, they don't care. They're out driving. Well, yeah, they've got, a, I mean, they, they've got, besides they've got all those vehicle inspections that they've got to deal with. So a lot of those cars, I've got friends in Belgium and the car cannot be modified at all from stock for its inspection. Right. It's so, terrible. so whatever you do, you have to put the vehicle back to stock every year, a couple years to get it inspected and it almost becomes so much work just to have a modified Volkswagen there. But, you it know, I, yeah, yeah, I've been, to, I've been to the Volksworld show and like, when I came back, I was like, "Why don't we have something like that here?" <laughs> right? You know, it's 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 a monster show. Um, it's got you know camping and car show setups and DJs and half pipes and all kinds of cool stuff. And when I was there, you know, they had a big half pipe display. Uh, they had a DJ setup. They had huge indoor swap meet. I mean, it was a it was a pretty pretty righteous deal, man. And I mean. Uh, my plan is to go back uh, probably in two years. I'm trying to get to go up there and head there this year or last year. I haven't thought much about this year. I've got other plans for this year. What is your reason for not coming back to the West Coast? When's the last time you're out here on the West Coast? Oh, man, it's been uh, – I guess the last car I brought out there was um, Howard Krebs' Blue 55. It was a real, real, real dark blue 55 red leather interior. And my white, um, Lotus white 21 went to bus. I brought them out together. Um, that's been six years now, probably something like that. Um, yeah. It, here's the thing about going to a car show. If I can't take a car, I don't go. Right. I look at these cars every day of my life. I don't need to go to the shows and just look at cars. I go one to just talk to people and two to take a car so people can see what we do. So just to go to the <coughs> car show, uh, I mean, yeah, I do it in Europe, but that's also because I have never seen Europe. So I want to go over and see Europe. I've seen the whole way from Maryland to California, so I don't need to keep going back and forth. Yeah. So, um, and then, so the last time you were out here was when they were when they still had the classic going on. I don't think the classic is going to be happening this year, which is a little bit of a drag because it's it's a little different show than Prado. Prado's more kind of like a big camp out, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, well, hopefully uh, when you got something coming out in the next few years, you might find an opportunity or a show to come out. Who knows? Maybe we might end up putting something huge on in Vegas, and uh, there's nobody that doesn't like coming to Vegas. I've only been to Vegas um, to two times. One was for a Vegas car show, and the other one was just for vacation. But um, I like Vegas. I would come back for car shows. Well, yeah, I think if, if here in Vegas, if we did a car show that was a whole weekend event – where there was a, a big cruise, there was maybe an indoor car show, and then there was, uh, you know, who knows, drag races or something else. If it was a whole weekend of events, I think there'd be no problem getting people to come to Vegas because, you know, part of it is is people used to love just parking off Fremont Street. They just loved having, you know, having their having their car out there because it's such an iconic place, and to be know, able to park your car there is just it's too cool, you know. So, definitely. who knows. Who knows? Maybe me and the fellas are going to work on that and see what we can't put together. Maybe put together another big uh, monster draw for the VW scene because you know with the, the change in the scene in California, um, it's made it a little bit a little bit different going there for the shows and stuff. So um, yeah, I uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Um, 
any uh, any other thing that we didn't cover that you think you might want to chat about? Uh, I definitely want to make a comment about a question you asked Buddy. You asked Buddy about the uh, built not bought thing. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about built not bought. What's your thought on that? Buddy didn't have much thoughts on it, but I do. Um, that's a humongously offensive comment to me. Right. My, um, obviously, I built them. There's no way around that. Um, one, I could probably never afford to pay somebody to build them. So that's, that's one of the reasons I started building. I was like, I can't pay somebody to build a car. So I built it myself. And I, I do enjoy it, believe it or not. Um, even after all these years, I still enjoy building cars. Um, but they got to look past the guy writing the check. There's way more to it than that. You know, when, when somebody says, well, you, somebody paid for that. They didn't, okay, but what about the five guys that stand in my shop that build that car? They're not getting the respect for building the car because all they're worried about is downing the guy that paid for it. So, okay, even though we don't own it, we didn't put the money into it, we still own it. We build it. If it comes out of the shop, that's a corporate car. That's not Joe Bud's car. You know? Right. And that's very offensive to people. I mean, when people say that, because that's like putting us down. Right. We're the ones that build it, but we don't mean nothing because that got paid for it. Um, well, and, and, I, and I and I agree with you to an extent. I agree with you because there are people, and and you know this, you've experienced this. You have kids, you have different life things going on, and it's like sometimes if you're in a position, if if you've got a client that's in a position that they have a dream they want to see fulfilled, and you're the guy that can make it happen, you know, if it wasn't for people like that, you probably wouldn't see a lot of the super devastating cars that are out because someone someone's got to write the check for those. And so I think, you know, a lot of times this is just my two cents, you know, because I've been on both sides. I've built, I built the bull run bus and then I, I, I had kids and ran out of time and no garage space to build other cars and figured my time is well spent at work generating the extra dollars to get that car the way I want it because, you know, you kind of get caught up in that, in that cycle. So, but it's funny because part of you, you know, a lot of us start with VWs because we don't have money. We don't come from like, you know, we're not from, I don't want to put down mini truck guys, but we're not the mini truck guys in high school. Those guys went, dad bought a new mini truck for them. And then to dad took it to the place to do the wheels and lowered it and all that kind of stuff. And they just kind of cruised around and put their air freshener on there and called it theirs. But I mean, I, most of us VW guys, we kind of start because we're, we're broke and, and it's, and it's lack of options. And so I see it as, those guys that are pushing the scene forward have a desire to still have something cool. And yet they've come to a place financially where they can afford to pay someone to build. Like, like when I, when I had buddy do the gear, I knew when I saw Randy's car, I'm like, there ain't no way I can't. Everybody knows me as three bolt Billy. (laughs) And we're dry. Like, don't nobody care. I don't care because I just want, I want seat time. That's what I want. You know? And, uh, and, you know, but when I saw that car, I thought, man, you know, in my head, I was like, I, I want a car that clean and I can't do it. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. when I talked to Buddy and, and we, we, we worked out building the Type 34 after a, a couple of hiccups in the road on the way. You know, it ended up with Buddy and he got me the car that I wanted because when I, when I finally said, okay, I'm committing the dollars to this thing. I want the baddest of the bad. You know what I mean? So yeah. bringing that up, when when you got a guy there writing the check, how much 
or how much say does the customer have and how it's getting built? Is that his deal hundred percent or you do a lot of heavy handed guiding or do you get customers that are like, look, Bob, build it. I want it to look like cool like your car or that, you know, your list of cars, where is the customer at and, and what kind of experiences have you had in regards to that? Have you told a customer, nope, we're not doing that or, you know, well, <laughs> I hate to sound like a prima donna, but uh, I do have a lot of say in the car because I want to have a lot of say in the car because ultimately when it rolls out of there, people see it, know who built it, and that's what people look at. Well, I think I have pretty good taste in building cars, and people come in there that have never built a car, and they tell you the things they want. You're just like, no, that's not going to work. That's going to look stupid. It's going to show itself in five years that you built it, the exact date you built it. You know, right. colors, especially colors. I'm real anal about colors. They don't have to be exact VW colors, but blowfly green and these you know colors that are dated don't work with me because it, you, then you know when you got it done. Or like you had this car restored 40 years ago and you want to paint the same color. Why? How would you want to put a lot of money into it? Paint the same color again. Right. I I have a really really strong hard hand in uh, what gets built and how it gets built. Yeah. And on these cars, when you start building them, do you start off with a concept? Do you say, okay, we're doing this for this for paint, this for wheels, this for motor? Do you have a whole plan put together before you start turning any wrenches or what? I like to. I mean, I like to have the car built in my head before I ever even touch the car. Um, unfortunately, some clients change gears halfway through a car and then you, your vision goes out the window. And a lot of times so does your interest um, because it's not what you started to build. And things change, and then you're just like, then you just want to get it done because it's not what you were started on. So unless they come up with something cool, eh, I really don't like that. But so hold on a second. So you're telling me that I could crush your motivation if I walk in your shop with a set of Japanese import car seats and like, Bob, these got to go in, dude. I don't care. <laughs> these are going in. Then you're just gonna look at me like you want to kill me, and then walk away and say it's your car. I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't, I don't hold back. I'll tell you they look like shit. They're going to look stupid. But ultimately, it comes down to, is your car, and if you want to pay for it, but there's some things I'll just put my foot down and say, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. No, I, I and, and I can imagine because I think it's, you know, the scene, the scene, although it's so different, you've got the stock, the over-detailed, the restored, the, the over-restored, uh, the cow look, the German look, uh, the German folks look, the DBK look, you got, I mean, really there's, there's 15 different variations oh, yeah. of what it could look like, but in between all of those, there are parameters. Yeah. There's an extreme on each end that you can get to from where like someone comes rolling in there with those deep dish Baja wagon wheels that they want to put low pros on. You're like, Nope, Nope, <laughs> Nope. So I, I think it's good because, you know, a lot of people that, that, that are wanting to get cars built to kind of connect with their youth, they might start thinking like, Oh, I just want to bone stock this or this. You're like, all right, no problem here. Hop in this little 51 bug over here and let's take a cruise. And then right. you give them one pass to the turbo motor. Like, okay, yeah, I don't want to do stock. I want to do this motor. I want yep. to do, you know, you got, you got the sales machine out there and you kind of get them, get them fixed up. So no, it's uh it's, it's, it's funny because to, to people outside of the scene, they see the scene as such a closed in scene, but there's really a lot of diversity in the scene. Oh, I mean, yeah. so many different variations and so many that are cool on their own level. 
you know? Um, but I tell you that's the, the, go ahead. One of the things that's important to me is on a build is not to, um, not just what your vision is on the build, but don't mix a bunch of visions in on one build. Stick with a theme. I mean, like if you start coming up with this uh, carbon fiber seats and suits, uh, you know, it's, they don't really go together. You're mixing, you know, shave the trim and put suits on it, but then put this new school interior in it. Just it, if it don't work, it don't work. I mean, right. it, you know, uniform. Well, it's got it. It for sure has to have a flow to it, and I don't know if you, uh, if you heard the podcast that we had with Chris Clark on there. So Chris Clark, Chris Clark's Customs, he's always built some. He built the Reich Post a few years ago, and he always does these funky builds. But he built a chopped uh, rod called um, Section Eight, and so he chopped a bug. And it was, you can look, you can look at it on the video. I have pictures of it, Section Eight. So he does. He's an artist, does the renderings, and then he actually builds the car. But it's like, and I am not a Volksrod guy in any way, shape, or form. You couldn't give me a Volksrod. But when I looked at the Christmas car, I said, dude, I dig this car, man, because it had a theme from front to back and nothing was overturned and it just, everything just fit, you know, and that's pretty important. Sometimes people don't see, and they think they're going to get this potpourri of looks on cars. And I'm going to do a little bit of cow look and a little bit of German look and a little bit of this and it's. Me, I don't like German look cars. It's just not my style. But I tell you what, there's some super kick-ass German look cars out there. And then there's some that has some shit mixed in them. They call them German looks like, no, you missed it. You either you're right. right there or you're way away. You just missed it. Yeah. No. So so you, you like uh, cow looks more your style. You like a cow look car. Yeah. Or um, you like a little bit of blend, a little bit of cow look with some with a little little switch on it. Because um, looking at looking at your website, I don't see I don't see a ton of fuchs on there. You know what I mean? Which is like the well, go-to West because they got so damn popular. I like them, but they got so popular that everybody wanted them, and we started we were doing the same thing. We were sticking them on a lot of cars, but um, I I tried to veer away from them a little bit lately. I like uh, we, you know, like I went, said before, that everybody has their own style. Well, um, I typically lean towards American racing style wheels. 15 inch, I don't do uh, 17s, 18s, all that stuff. I'm just not my style. I do a lot of 15 inch, uh, Villa Specialty or Weld wheels, those kinds of wheels. That's that's a lot of what we lean towards. Because one, there's not many VW people use them. Um, and there's so many different ones on the market and new ones on the market all the time that we like leaning that direction because they're not overly used. Don't get me wrong. I love food. I think they look awesome. They are the overused. So you like to make sure that the cars that come out of your shop, they have their own look to them. Like they're they're not the run of the mill. Oh, is that that red car on Fuchs? Like, right. Exactly. Yeah, so you're you're just trying to put your stamp on it, and which is that's one of the ways to do it by the wheels. I mean, because you can really make a car a different car by a different set of wheels. Oh yeah, there's no question. No question. Wheel wheels and stance. Are are probably the two most important things that get people to stop and look at a car. And you clean know, windows. <laughs> and clean, and clean windows. That's that's all you need. It don't matter everything else between. That's it. Nice clean window. Clean windows make the car appear clean. That's right. <laughs> no, that's 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 absolutely correct. So we were talking earlier, and you said you lost a couple guys at your shop. 
how hard are you finding it to find people oh, to, to come work for you? I'm glad you asked that question because, dude, it is impossible. There is nobody doing this shit anymore. No, it's crazy. I've asked you know, talked to tons of different people in different industries, and everybody's saying the same thing. They cannot yeah. find employees. It's just, yeah. Well, you know, I'm a contractor here in Las Vegas. My day job is contracting and construction. And the average age of my workers has slowly been coming up because there are no young kids getting into the trades. And it's interesting because, you know, we've got a different generation. And and in those generations, like this newer generation is like instant gratification. It's on my Instagram. It's on my phone. I don't need to own it. I can look at it. I don't need to build it because I can just buy it or whatever the case is. But that desire, and I don't know where that went because there's guys like you and me and we got kids and my kids, my kid's 18 and I got one that's 13 and I drag them in the garage and they're like, no, dad, no. And then after like two, it takes a little while, but after two hours of getting beat over the head with a, with a door, with, with a door uh, rubber or something like that, I'm, I'm, I'm having them help me do this or do that. They're getting what a lot of kids are missing nowadays where they can take a step back and be like, man. I feel good. I did something with my hands. I made a difference. Like today was different in some way where I was able to come and help my dad and get that car. So, you know, my oldest son, he's, he's out, he's out on a mission for the next couple of years. But before he left, man, he's like, he is car guy to the car guy. He stole, I got a Celine Mustang. He decided to borrow that to go to school one day and it broke down. <laughs> he had to call me up like, Hey dad, I borrowed the car and I wanted to be mad. He's like, the car's broke. I said, don't tell me you wrecked my Celine, bro. I'm gonna be so mad. And he's like, Oh no, no, no. It just broke down. I don't know what's wrong with it, but it's not running. And I wanted to be mad at him. But in the same respect, I was, I was kind of proud. Like that's my boy. And he's a car guy. Like he's a car guy, you know? Um, well, that's the way my seven year old is. I mean, he is, my girlfriend's a pinstriper and he sits around and, and paints all the time and he wants to help in the garage because they're, they're in the garage all the time. They don't have a choice. They're in the garage all the time. Um, so he is all about it. Now my older one's autistic, so he's a little different, but, um, my young one, he just, he's all about it and he's coming up. So you're right. I don't see what happened. Why more kids aren't into this kind of stuff because like we were, I mean, what happened between there and there, but, like my seven-year-old, he thinks it's great. So what happened? Well, I, I think I think part of it comes from taking wood shop and stuff like that out of school because oh, a lot of high schools they don't have wood shop, they don't have you know auto body, they don't have mechanics and stuff like that. And so I think a lot of that because maybe someone on the administrative side is thinking, oh, kids don't need that. But the reality is. There's a lot of value that you instill within yourself when you know, like I'm telling you right now, my kid, my boy brought a couple of his buddies to the sand dunes with us. We went to the sand dunes and I'm in the park. I'm like, unload the sand car, change the wheels over to us. His two buddies were standing there, jaws dropped like, dude, how do you do that? You're like a NASCAR guy. Like, cause he just, he knew, he knew the routine. Dad's yelled at him enough to where he just rolled the sand car out of the trailer, jacked it up, swapped out the wheels, you know, checked the fluids, got it ready to go. It's like, all right, dad, we're ready to go. And his buddies were just like, man, I'm thinking like, man, you poor guys, when you go out on a date, you'll be on the side of the road. Like, do you have triple a? Like, I guess, <laughs> yeah, my, my, I mean, my, my, my kid. And, and he kind of told me, he's like, man, he's like, it's so weird, dad, because he's like, 
these guys were thinking like that's so impossible. And not, you know, I, I had a 99 Tahoe that my son got, got T-boned in and, you know, all my daughter's sons are like, Oh, look at that big giant car, whatever. And my son, he's like, you know, the Tahoe's dead now. And he's like, man, I can't wait till we get another Tahoe dad. He's like, that thing, cause it was lowered. It was on 20. You know, he comes home like, Hey, it needs new spark plugs. He's like, well, how do I do that? I'm like, open the hood and figure it out. It doesn't come with instructions, boy. But you know what I mean? It's like, there's a little bit of tough love, but now that my son is away from the house, stuff like that, he's like, dad, you're not going to believe it. An opportunity came up where I just rolled in like, Oh, I can take care of that. And everybody stood around like, He's amazing. Like, no, you know, he just had a dad that smacks him in the back of the head, says, go pick that up, air those tires up, start the compressor, you know, like these types of things. So uh, I I think, you know, because I've been struggling with the same thing, you know, trying to find employees to, because the only thing that's going to happen, the adverse effect of this from young people not getting in the trades, it's just going to get more and more expensive because the older you get, the more your time is worth and the more you're going to raise your prices because, listen, if it's got to be Bob doing the sanding and buffing, which he probably isn't a huge fan of because he'd like to get guys and people to where he can run his shop and he can manage the business. You know All what right. I mean? And uh, that's what's happening in, in my industry in construction. Pricing's going up. And I'm telling people like, hey, it is what it is. They're like, Oh, you know, that seems really expensive. Okay. Call somebody else. I don't know what to tell you, lady. <laughs> you know, so go ahead. The government wants to take it all. It has to be expensive. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the thoughts that, that, that I, that I'd suggest for you is I don't know if you could look into if there are any vocational schools in your area where you could maybe offer to bring kids in. Or maybe, you know, um, on on your Instagram, put out there that you're looking for some people because I believe there's a lot of people out wherever wherever they are that are looking for work that would be look, be more than willing to come and work, you know? We've done that. And, um, I mean, I, I have uh, applica- I mean, um, job hunters out there on Indeed and all that looking for people. But it's just nobody knows what they're doing and not that many young ones won't even try. So – it's just been a tough ordeal, that's for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's for sure. It requires a lot of training, and the guys that are in the trades don't really have the patience to train the new guys coming in. Okay. With that being said, I made a mistake with a uh, a young hire that I taught everything I knew. I taught him how to do everything. He could do it almost everything. Well, he left and started his own gig. So there's the problem that in lies in teaching somebody. Yeah. Some- what they're doing no and and really here's the reality the guys that are the guys that are good and and kind of get that skill level up they're eventually going to branch off and start their own thing and that's where if you listen to some of the other podcasts which i know now that you're turned on to the podcast you can click your subscribe button and you can subscribe to the podcast and you'll get updated all the new ones but there's plenty to listen to but you'll hear a pattern with some of the guys that are in the business that they start they work for one guy work for another guy work for another guy and then eventually go out on their own and that's and that's the evolution of the business and it's kind of a bummer because you always talk about you end up training your competition and yeah. unfortunately sometimes it's, that's what happens. But I think you can also take that as a badge of honor because the guy went to the school of cookers, you know what I mean? And it's like, Hey, you came here, you learned how we do it right. And then it'll show in time whether that individual is going to follow the, follow what they've been taught. Or sometimes people go, ah, oh, listen, man, they do a bunch of time wasting doing all that detail stuff. I'm just going to slam and bam. And and that usually doesn't last long for people. But, you know, I think it's 
it's the constant evolution of business that we're in. The challenge that we have now is the labor pool. So if there are any kids in the Maryland area nearby that, that I think this is the description, right? They want to work hard. They're willing to eat dust and they're not, they're not going to cry about anything and they can take a butt chewing. Come on down to cookers and you'll (laughs) lay down. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that you're seeing with a lot of young employees today. I mean, they can't put that phone down, you know, we, and, and that's where I think maybe some of the work ethic or the, or the ability to work with your hands kind of fades because they just kid, they have that separation anxiety. They feel like they got to be plugged in all the time and find out what, what their girlfriend's eating for lunch. Unfortunately, I don't think it's an age thing. I think we're all addicted to uh, our cell phones and, I think as handy as they are, I think it's a downfall to the world is these damn phones for adults as well as kids, everything. Yeah. Well, listen, we're all a little bit guilty of it because, you know, we're part of that generation. We straddled both sides. We were, we were the, we we were the teenagers that were trying to figure out how do I get a 60 foot phone cord so I can use the kitchen phone (laughs) in my room and talk to my girlfriend versus now to where we're on Instagram and we're on, you know, Facebook and we've got all these social media connections. So Skype across the country interview for, you know, an hour and do what, do what we're doing. But, you know, the new generation that never knew what it was like to call your buddy when he wasn't home. And I guess you'll just, maybe he'll be home tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And, and part of that has to do with that delayed gratification. Like you want to go hang out with your buddy. And so that delayed gratification is, is what the difference is when it takes a guy to take a block sander in his hand and start sanding on a fender, knowing he's going to be sanding on that car for eight hours and then three more days at eight hours before yeah. they can check it to see if it's ready to paint, you know? Right. And, and there's, I mean, and, and that's really a, a big thing where a lot of the, a lot of the people can't commit that long-term vision that like, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it because, you know, it, it's not easy work, uh, fit and finish cars, fabrication, all that stuff. All that stuff. I'm telling you, I machined one thing in my life, and I'm telling you right now, I got no time to sit on a machine and machine anything. I machined my my. <laughs> I was at my buddy's shop, and I machined. I took an old steering wheel and I machined the hub out of an old bus steering wheel so I could modify the steering wheel that's in my carbon cab. And I could have spent hours on this thing. After about 20 minutes, I was done. I was <laughs> I was like, hey, guess I'm not cut out for machining. This looks good enough, and I'm kind of done with this, but. Then again, it takes a certain type of temperament of an individual to be able to sit there on a lathe and work piece by piece by piece because it's hours and hours and hours. You know what I mean? Boring stuff to do. It's like staying in a car. It's just, Yeah. And so it it takes different types of people's and personalities. But I think the biggest thing this generation is missing out by not being able to do that is the ability to take three steps back and turn around and look at something that they built with their hands that they can get in drive it wherever and, and, and light that fire in someone else that happened to all of us. We're sitting on the side of the road and some cool Volkswagen rolls by and you're like, Oh, I gotta be that guy. One day I'm going to, I'm going to find a car and I'm going to be that guy, you know? And so, I mean, hopefully I think, I think you're going to see another generation of kids coming out. Cause I don't know, at least my kids are a little bit different cause I'm kind of making them get involved. I'm taking them to car shows. I'm forcing them to be, uh, 
to be involved doing VW stuff, all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of kicking and screaming in the beginning, but after, after an hour or something, you know, my kids really look forward to going to the classic. Like the first couple of years are like, Oh, we're going to dad's car show again. And then after a while I was like, great. We get to go to the classic during the summer. We get to hang out at the hotel, get to oh, see some I of the love car shows. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's part of that, getting them, getting them away from the TV, getting them outdoors, getting them involved in something, getting them to see and meet other people that are into creating things you know yeah. i mean a lot of us to some extent are artists to a degree now whether whether we paint in dollars or we paint in metals or we paint it whatever our medium is but we all create from some level or another because we're taking things that were dead bringing them back to life and whether you're writing the check or you're sanding the fender you're part of the process yeah. and part and, and part of that process is is the opportunity to have something unique that nobody else has. Anybody can go to the store and buy a brand new green Lamborghini if you want one. Hey, watch it. Yeah, but you can't, but you can't, but, but you can't. I stole mine, by the way. <laughs> listen, listen, didn't you have, didn't, I saw you had a Hummer too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, listen, I made that mistake and owned a Hummer at one time. I actually bought a Humvee at one time and I thought, you know, the only problem with the Humvee is you need a full-time mechanic riding with you to, <laughs> to tighten up. I was a Humvee. It was a real deal. And uh, yeah, you're right. They, they're like a Volkswagen. Oh, yeah. It, that thing breaks down just as much as a Volkswagen. Well, and the, the, you know, the crazy part is with, with, with the Humvee, I don't know if you knew this, but the uh, inboard brake calipers are supposed to be torqued every 5,000 miles. You know? I, was, I was daily driving mine at four miles to the gallon for the because that thing was cool <laughs> as a fan. And then all of a sudden I hear this click, 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 click in the front. End, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, you got to torque the brake calipers. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. I dumped. I can't even tell how much money I dumped in that thing. But it's part of that car guy passion thing. Like you want something cool. And if you work hard in life and you're stressed out at work, you do those things, you should reward yourself. Everybody deserves to do it. Don't withhold that stuff. I've lost too many friends. I've seen too many people gone before they were able to enjoy life. And it's like with a balance. I mean, don't go put it all on black yeah. tonight, but you know what I mean? But take the time and enjoy some of the stuff that you have. And, and that's the great thing about our hobby, man, is everybody gets in it because the, we, we all get enjoyment out of owning these cars, you know, and by owning these cars, we can all commiserate about the same broken clutch cable or the same pulley that goes flying off or the same, all the same train wreck stuff that we've all, ex it's like a million people have had the same funky yep. childhood with these cars, but have evolved. And so it's that, it's that brotherhood that, that brings everybody together. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're all VW guys is different and, and quirky as we are. We all come at the scene from the same thing. So, um, I love it, man. I, I, I love the scene. I've had all kinds of different cars. <laughs> Here's one of the downfalls to the scene that yeah. I've seen being in Get business, especially, is that this shit has gotten so expensive that a young kid can't get into it. You know, yeah. a, a crusty, rusted up bus that you can't even do anything with unless you have tons of skills is $10,000. Where is an 18 year old kid going to get $10,000 for a starter project? That's yeah. A huge downfall to the scene right now. And I think that is going to even get any worse because um with buses be, especially i'm referring more to buses than anything but um with them being so expensive and going up all the time and the clientele that wants these done really nice and really expensive are the ones that were driving around in them with either their parents when they were new or themselves when they're new 
now can afford to do them. So they've driven the price out of the range for everybody, even true VW fans, you know, buck guys that because that's a whole different group, buck guys. Um, yeah, they, they can't even afford to own buses themselves because of what they've become. Well, yeah, it's gonna do it because they can't. Uh, bugs are still reliable. Um, I think the, the affordability of Beatles are still out there. It's a good starter project. Um, buses, like you said, have gone through the roof. Bugs are a little bit harder of a sell than a bus is. And I think, you know, a lot of times what pushes the market is the demographic. Like their guys are our age. They're in their 40s. Uh, demographically, you start to spend your – you have your most – your highest income earning years are now. And so now you've got the money to spend the money to buy the thing, which is what's starting to push the price up because every, nobody was buying buses in 1999 and living the dream then. Cause you were kind of a weirdo for showing up at a car show with a bus. And now it's a, now it's a different deal. Now they're cool. They're hip and everybody wants one, but it's, it's a, it's an age demographic thing. And, and, uh, luckily for us, there's millions of them out there. Millions. Yeah. Now, like you said, the bus guys are a little different and the whole bus thing's a little different because there's so many different iterations of the buses and, and quirkiness and all these little different cool options and stuff. But I still think there are good deals out there, you know, um, but it's just hard. It's, it's, it's more about getting the kids to, uh, well, there, there was a, um, a bus for sale at our shop. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to a client, but they bought it and they did something else with a different bus. So they wanted to sell this bus. Right. Stopped for a while for sale. Well, finally, she dropped the price enough that somebody could, you know, was willing to jump on it. It was a 21-year-old boy and his dad. Well, the boy's the one who won it, and his dad was the one that was putting up the money. So they bought it. They come out, and they talk to him. Well, we want you to do this and do that. Well, they brought mom. Well, mom put her foot down and said, no, we're not doing any of this. You're not wasting all that money. So she completely stopped this whole dream of this kid because he didn't have the money to pay for it. He's 20 years old at home, works, but he don't have any money, you know, and he wants to, I mean, he's in love with his boss like crazy. Dad wanted to help, but mom's just like, absolutely not. We're not doing it. So there went that bus dream out the window and he ain't got to, because it was, I think they paid 8,500 bucks for it, but that's just to get the bus. There's not, nothing drivable. Oh him. yeah. So yeah. There went and that, that at eighty five hundred dollars, when you could buy a two hundred fifty thousand mile Toyota Corolla for twenty five hundred bucks, why would you spend eighty five? Exactly. Why would you do that for something like this? They're they're deep projects, but you know, uh, I'm still optimistic that if you really want one and you're really a hunter, you can find them out there. There are small cities and towns and places everywhere, especially where you're at over there in the backwoods. There's people out there that got them that these people ain't had a TV in 15 years. They don't know what eBay is or any of that kind of stuff. And in my opinion, those people are going to sell it for what they're realistically worth. I mean, yeah. you know, right. I bought, I bought the bull run bus and that bull run bus, every part and piece you see on that thing that's chromed or painted is original to that bus. And wow. I bought that bus in Goldfield, Nevada for $100. Oh shit. Yeah. So imagine me when I'm out there like a hundred bucks. Meanwhile, that was in 1998 and, or 1999, and I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I didn't have a truck or a trailer, and I had to borrow my buddy's stuff to go out there and tow the thing back. But the reality was, you know, it was a 13 window. That thing was so rare. It was like a barn door might as well have been back then. But, right. you know, it's funny how times have changed. So we can look at that. We can look at that across the spectrum and say, as much time has changed with all this, you know, it started out where rag tops were really rare. 
Yeah. And now like we're over here crabbing about the split windows that we have, but it's like, so that, that kind of proves the point that there's tons of them out there. You just got to find them. I think the most important thing that we can do as people in the VW scene is work on getting more kids inspired. Cause that's, what's going to continue to grow and push the scene because oh listen, the, 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 the more, the more people are getting out of the scene or the more people are, are, are pushed out of the scene by affordability, you know, what are you going to do? Well, my, client just, start, my clientele starts at 40 years old. Yeah. I mean, there's very, very few that are under 40 years old. And if it is, like uh, just the other day, we were maintaining the car, and the guy decided he wanted to sell the car. We'd maintain it for a while. He sold it to a 20-year-old girl. That was crazy. I'm like, yes, please. I th- I, when she come to pick it up, and after we worked on it, she picked it up from there because she had paid for it. So um, I went over to the car and told her all the things that are going to go wrong. I'm like, please don't let this discourage you from owning a Volkswagen. I'm like, they are a nuisance. They're a pain in the ass. They're junk. They, they're cold. I said, but don't let that deter you. Because I said, without you, this is all going to die. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, that's, 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 uh, that's a good, that that's a good point. You know, the more, the more we focus on getting younger kids into the hobby and getting people involved, I mean, the, the, the stronger the scene will, or the longer and stronger the scene will continue to grow. So, well, we've been, uh, we've been at it for a little over an hour and a half, so it, it's gone quick. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. If anybody wants to check out, um, Bob's site, it's cookersvdubs.com. And then on your Instagram, your cookers, cookersvdubs on Instagram or what's your Instagram? Yep. Same Cooker, Cookersvdub on Instagram. And so we never got the answer to the question. It's, uh, and people have been hammering me like to get the answer to the question. They said, what is it going to cost me to get a car restored? So we talked about high and low. Oh, yeah, you're right. You talked about 40, 50 grand. Okay. Um, I didn't elaborate on that. I forgot about that. Um, the thing is, when we build a car, if it needs a bunch of metal work, then you got to paint everything. You know what I mean? Underneath everything, it's all new metal. You can't just leave it that way. You're not just going to do metal work and put a paint job on the outside of the car. Um, so unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, we like re- full restoration better than anything, of course, because they all need metal work. Very, very, very few need metal, don't need metal work. So once the metal work's done, you're already underneath the car. You already have the car disassembled. You're already on a rotisserie. For what little bit more it takes to paint under the car, you're going to want to do that just because it's, it needs done anyway. So, you know, it's not like you're just going outside and spray bomb on the fenders with some black spray paint. We don't do that. Um, so, so, with that being said, our paint jobs average around 20 grand. Okay. Because you're, it's a rotisserie. That's, that's where people flip out. They think, holy shit, 20 grand to paint a car. No, it's not just a paint job. That's it's, a restoration every, level. Every square inch of that car is blasted to bare metal. Everything is not necessarily body work to the extreme, but body work, primed, blocked, and colored, and uh, Santa box. That's what you get for now. Buses are more like twenty-five thousand because they're bigger. You got a lot more parts. But um, yeah, I mean, metal work can be anywhere from nothing up to fifteen thousand dollars on a bus, and paint jobs are up to twenty-five thousand dollars. You have, especially in a bus, you're going to have twenty thousand dollars worth of parts. And then you're gonna have twenty some thousand dollars in uh, late, uh, uh, money and labor to put it back together. So the average bus is eighty grand. The average beetle is we don't touch a beetle for restoration under fifty. Can't do a beetle under fifty. Now if it's a good car, you know it's gonna be around fifty. 
But they, anything rough, it goes on. And these are all cars that you're talking about are new drivetrains, new everything. This is not. So if a guy brought you a car that was all complete, not too bad, not the worst metal work you've seen, obviously needs a few, a few, a little bit of metal work, stuff like that. But a restoration, most of the parts are kind of blast clean and refinish. You could be a little bit lower than that. You could probably be 40 grand in a restoration if it was stalker stalker. Well, and, every, and it had all the parts. I- when I say 50 grand is our starting point, that usually is a stock car. Okay. Because uh, you know, even if you're using the same engine, chances are you're rebuilding the engine. Yep. Uh, transmission, you usually have to have a rebuild because they either grind or pop out or something. Um, they can be a little under 50 if it's like a rock solid car where you don't have to do any metal work. But on average, I think you know if you don't have 45 to 55 to spend, to spend you're not going to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and listen, that's I mean that's the truth. It's the time, effort, and energy it takes to get those cars the way they need to be. And I'm sure you could you can always find somebody cheaper, but it's not going to be the same job, yeah. you know. So I tell people, I'm like, you know, you're more than welcome to do just like one thing here with us and farm the rest out if you can get it done cheaper. I don't care. I mean, knock yourselves out, but you're gonna get what you pay for. So. Yeah, no, and that's the important part, you know, pick a shop where you're going to get what you pay for. And it's, and it's a big difference between taking a Volkswagen to a VW shop or taking a Volkswagen to a body shop as a oh, night. A the touch of any, anything but insurance work. Right. Around here, there's no restoration shops. Yeah. It's only insurance shops. I'm sure California yeah. is different, but. Yeah, well. There's a lot to it, man. A lot of a lot of layers to this, and I'm sure this won't be the only time we'll be on the podcast. I'm sure we'll have you on the podcast again next time you got anything coming out. I'd love I'd love to uh, podcast, video podcast at your shop, and maybe see some of the projects that you got going on. And give us kind of a shop tour and stuff like that. Uh, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast, man. I look forward to getting this edited and getting it out. And uh, and like I said, anybody wants to wants to check out Cookers, go to uh, CookersVDubs.com. Uh, if you're out there and you're you're listening to the podcast, you're one of these young kids and you got the ambition, you think you got what it takes, go down to his shop and show him how bad you want to work on VWs. <laughs> and, right. uh, and and see, and I'm sure he's got if you've got the if you've got the determination, you can figure it out. So I know that's a common thread that I hear from all these guys that own restoration shops is just finding good quality employees. So, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I, I, I really appreciate all the cars that you build and all the stuff that you're doing for the scene, man, because you're doing a lot for the scene. So I, that's the reason I have the podcast, just to kind of make sure we recognize all those people out there that are doing something big in the scene. And oh. you're definitely doing some cool stuff. Uh, appreciate the time you spent. And uh, we'll t- well, a- anything you wanted to leave the podcast land with? Uh, not really. Just appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem, brother. I appreciate it. And uh and we'll talk to we'll talk to you again. Cool. Thank you.